Good morning, everybody. Hey, raise your hand if you are doing Bloomsday right now. You are smart, right? You are the wise people of our church, I would say. Um, I have a friend who is one of those guys that does Ironmans and triathlons and 5Ks and all stuff. And, and he says Bloomsday is the worst race of all time. Like there's nothing worse because it's, it's in between short and it's in between long. So if I learned anything, it was that Bloomsday is terrible and you all are smart. So there we go. It's always good to start off on a, on a good foot on a Sunday morning. Hey, another question. Do you remember the last day of school? Do we have any teachers here? Any teacher? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, Jim. Did you ever get anything done on the last day of school? Not much. Not much, right? So, so teachers know that productivity just is terrible on the last day of school, right? That, that there's, there's no real opportunity to get anything done. Um, the, the kids don't want to do anything. And so it's usually filled with, um, I mean, at least when the kids are younger, movies, parties, right, field days, those sorts of things, because um, there's no opportunity for reward or award, right? And in some ways, life is like the last day of school. At some point, we're going to die, and our last day is coming at some point, and we don't know when it'll be. It could be today. It could be a long time from today, but either way, uh, one thing is certain. We will all have a last day. And once we die, everything we're working on, everything we're working towards, all the knowledge that we have accumulated um, will come to an end. And, and because of death, life can feel like vanity, right? Death this is the great equalizer between all of us. And no matter how high we ascend in life, when everything is said and done, we're all going to be about six feet. Under. And what we've done on this earth, um, in terms of gaining wisdom and knowledge, isn't going to be as important as some of us may believe. And so, today, there's a lot of different people in this room. There's people that are experiencing health problems and are, and are nearing that ending line, right? And maybe you're thinking a lot about death. And then there's people in this room who are, who are young and, and life is great and and more optimistic about life, and that seems a long ways away, right? Death is a very long ways away. And keenly um, aware of this fact, and in our book we're in Ecclesiastes, the elderly Solomon, who sees his finish line of death fastly approaching, yells back at a younger generation and the younger people who are fresh out of the starting blocks of life about the futility of the lane that they're running in. The lane that has been so popular and purposeful for, for over 3,000 years um, of, of go accumulate knowledge, get, get smart, and you're going to be successful, right? And, and Solomon ran that race for us. He, he, he did that. He accumulated knowledge. He accumulated wisdom. And, and it got him somewhere, and we're going to find out where that is in just a second. And the findings of history's wisest fool are shocking, disorienting, troubling, um, because after all, doesn't every good parent tell their kids that the key to life is to get good grades and to go to school, and that helps you to get a better job, and that helps you to get a better career path and have more money and provide more for your family, um, but there may be more to life than that. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 12 to 18, Solomon uses, tries to use wisdom to straighten out a very crooked world that we live in, and he says, I... Solomon, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. 
I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned this too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. That is depressing, <laughs> right? I mean, this, I mean, just, I mean, he, he does all these things. He searches all these things, and he always comes back to the fact that it just, it wasn't worth it. It didn't make his life worthwhile. And I think we could all agree that our world is past the point of, like, that we could fix it, right? The brokenness is, is so deep, and, and we, we find ourselves in our current climate, right? We look to some sort of political system to make everything better, and, and if we do that, we're probably going to be disappointed, right? I mean, whether it's, whether it's uh, Hillary, Bernie, Ted, uh, Donald, whoever we're looking to, right? They're not going to make this thing better. There's no way that they can straighten this crooked, crooked world that we are all living in, right? And so, right, because if we spend even one night or, or one day surfing the internet or watching the news, the, how obvious it is that we are in this broken just filthy, dirty world, it's right in our face, right? And Solomon saw that 3,000 years ago. He saw that everything was broken around him and no amount of wisdom or anything could fix that. Because wisdom is a mixed blessing, right? To gain wisdom and understanding is to gain a clearer view into the tragedies of life and this world that's marred by sin. And, and that's, I think, as, as, as I can think about the really wise people that I know and some of the conversations I've had with them, they understand that, that this world is broken. They get this point that Solomon is making to us in this book. So I want to take a look at a few people real quick who thought they had it all figured out, who thought they had the wisdom and the knowledge to make a great decision, only to find out they didn't. And if one of these people is sitting next to you, let's not poke elbows or something. So that is the super bowel. Um, that's unfortunate because I no okay next one so uh, next only God can fudge me Um, probably should say judge so we should help that guy and very last is too cool for school right can you imagine having that on you for the rest of your life too cool for school he should go back to school so so Solomon gets this, right? He, he gets this path that we're on of, of, of get a degree, get a job, and, and he, then he continues on his search for wisdom, right? He continues on, chapter 2, it says, When I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly, what more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. So you say, I mean, there's nothing wrong with wisdom, right? Wisdom is, is, is commendable. It's something that we should strive towards. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. 
Then what do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already gone when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So the, the ambitious optimists or the wise among us divide their, devote their lives to study and knowledge and insight and they try to make the world better, right? They try to do something. They try to straighten out this crooked mess. And, and conversely, the, maybe the lazy, the pessimists or the fools, as Solomon calls them, They've lost hope of changing the world. They, they've, lost, they've lost hope and they've just embraced this conclusion that the world is, is crooked and, and no form of transformation will come. And, and the, the amount of information that's available to us as people is staggering, right? I mean, we have more data about life than ever before. I mean, like in this phone, there's more knowledge, more wisdom, more anything that we could search and come up with than, than has ever been around at any time on earth. And in addition to that, we're all free to pursue education, right? Through a, through a seemingly limitless amounts of, um, of opportunities and, and fields and different things. Yet no matter how much we know, um, in all likelihood, a lot of us are going to die and we're going to not have changed the world like we set out to and like we, we hoped to. And in the end, both brilliant scholars who have devoted their lives to study and those who gave up on trying to learn and grow will end up in the same place, right? Death is this equalizer. And this message is getting more depressing by the minute, right, as we go. And so um, Solomon acknowledges that wisdom is greater than folly and that knowledge is better than ignorance. But even so, the whole situation seems unfair. I mean, I can think about these people that I know in my life that I really look up to and that, that are really smart and have so much wisdom and, and I look to for, for knowledge and for coaching and for help. And I think, well, shouldn't that person make a bigger difference? Like, shouldn't that be something um, just amazing? Um, and it is, and it's sad when, when someone like that dies too early. Right? And it raises this question of why, well, why bother knowing anything then? Why spend our time doing this? Why run this rat race of life when it's just a sprint to our own funeral? So I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that a little more of, of why run this race. Why, um, why seek after God? And our big takeaway for the day is, is that a person is more than just a collection of facts that Jesus didn't die for facts, he died for people, okay? So Jesus didn't die for what? Facts. He died for what? People, okay? So Jesus didn't die for facts, Jesus died for people. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about my story and some of the messaging that I heard growing up towards me. And, and so I, I grew up where I was taught that identity was based really squarely around how much you knew. Right, that the more facts you knew, the better off you were going to be. So when I was in kindergarten, I was sent to a small private school here in town and where the focus and energy was primarily put on gaining facts and gaining knowledge so that I would get into the best college possible, which didn't happen, and you'd get the best possible job, I think did happen, I had a great job, and, um, and have the, the largest bank account, right? And so I can remember taking this test, and it's called the ERB. And so some of you, if you're my age, you might 
remember this, and I specifically remember this one time. We were probably in like third or fourth grade, taking the ERB, and the teacher says, listen up. You need to do really good on your ERBs so you'll be prepared to take the pre-SATs, like middle school, so you'll be prepared to take the SATs in high school, which there were kids in like eighth grade in my school taking the SATs. It was ridiculous. But it, and so then you'll get a good job, then you go to college and all this stuff, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like what, I'm in third grade and you're preaching to me, telling me like, you're, you need to do really good today so you can get to college, right? It would just seem like this utter waste of time. And it's a scary thought for me if I think back and think, okay, what if, what if that is where I would have rooted my, um, my identity? If I would have said my identity is gonna be about how much I know and and, and that's what's going to get me somewhere in life versus an identity based in Jesus. And so um, Solomon tells us that would have been worthless, right? It would have been just chasing after the wind if I would have um, put all of my eggs into this basket of, of knowledge and wisdom. And, and, and knowledge doesn't always produce what we think it's going to produce, what we're told it's going to produce in our lives, right? And many, many things in life don't actually do what we're told they're gonna do. So let's think about this, things that don't do what we're told it's gonna do. So if we think about these things, like we're gonna call them labor-saving devices, okay? So the premise of a labor-saving device is that we're gonna have more time in our lives to do other things because someone really smart invented something, okay? For example, the dishwasher, right? We have a dishwasher, it saves us time, all this thing. Um, two, garage door opener. So why, if you just hit a button, it's easier than walking out and lifting the door up. Computer, cell phones, and my favorite, the lawnmower. Okay, so um, let's take a look at this picture. This is the side of my house. Um, that's my lawn. Okay, next picture. There's my lawnmower. Okay, really cool thing about that lawnmower. It moves itself, right? Can you believe we have lawnmowers that move themselves? Okay, back to the first picture. What's not done in that picture? My lawn is not mowed in that picture. So back to the lawnmower. I have a lawnmower that moves itself that I literally just walked behind. And it's supposed to save me all this time, and yet my lawn is not mowed, right? Um, I can't tell you why. Um, I just don't have the time, right? And our lives are filled with these things that are supposed to do something for us in order to make us less busy and give us more time, okay? But that was a lie, okay? So whoever invented these things is just a liar that's made a lot of money because they don't make us have more time. Okay, similarly to how um, if we have more knowledge, we will be more successful. That is not true, okay? If we can gain more wisdom, we'll have this life figured out. I can remember seeing in a college class, and um, I have a bachelor's in history, and it was one of those classes where like it's, it's for your uh, degree and the teacher says okay raise your hand if you want to be a university professor and like 90% of the class raises their hand and they're like this is a waste of time for you then <laughs> and I'm like okay and there which is funny I know there's multiple university professors in the room and I commend you because you made it through this process right and 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 you could see these all these kids like well that's my goal and they're like you're never going to be good enough you can sit through all these classes you can gain all this knowledge and wisdom but you'll never be the best of the best. You'll never be able to actually be here and impart that wisdom. So Solomon's summary of wisdom is sad. No matter how hard you study in school, you get good grades, you're in the right degree, 
Even if you land the dream job, you may, and you probably will, wind up frustrated, aggravated, and agitated. You won't be happy or satisfied if your identity is rooted in knowledge. Solomon continues on in chapter 2, Ecclesiastes 2, 24 to 26. There's nothing better than a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw as from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Right? So without God, there's no, there's no real long-lasting enjoyment. For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner who is given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. As Solomon is making his point, he in essence ponders that since we're all going to die we're, um, and, and live in this crooked mess of a world, um, what are we to do with these days that we have? What are we to do um, with these few days under the sun before the coroner comes and picks us up? Solomon's answer is both stunning and liberating, right? He says, um, should we be so wise that we waste all of our time trying to understand life or so foolish that we spend our time trying to avoid it? He says neither. He says, we should spend our life enjoying God and enjoying life. And, and having a relationship with God. That's what he says. He says, our problem is that we spend too much time trying to figure out life through wisdom and, and straighten out our life through work or avoid life. Um, and that we die before we actually get around um, to enjoying life. We just stay on this rat race, in this rat race, on this path, on this road that, that so many have traveled before us. And it's not getting us anywhere. And so we know that through our study of Ecclesiastes and what we've looked at over the past few weeks is we keep coming to this same conclusion. We've been looking at these topics and things that, that we find value in, we find identity in, and, and are they ever worth it? Are they ever um, going to bring us the amount of joy and the amount of meaning that a life in communion with Jesus brings us? And the answer is no, right? Let's, let's move into the New Testament um, we're going to look at a few places where wisdom is discussed, and we're going to find where our meaning should be rooted in. So let's not just stick out there and say, we should love God, right? Let's dig in a little deeper to that. And so we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 4 in just a second, and Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's building a case for them of why they should live differently than, than the people around them. So they're in this city that was, that was not... Um, who was not following God, and here's this church, and they're trying to, to follow um, this example that Jesus has given them, and Paul is, is helping them along that journey. Um, think, of, think of Paul as like this master lawyer, right? That he's, he's weaving this, this argument to them and, and helping them to fully understand what is happening here, and he's showing them that, that um, there's people that are darkened in their city, the people that don't understand God, and there's people that are following Jesus in the light, and, and he says that you Christians, you people following Jesus, you're different than the rest of the people living here. Um, that these people are trapped and, and you're different. You have a different type of freedom. So Ephesians 4, chapter 20, it says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. Right? He's, he's telling them you didn't learn about Jesus so that you, um, that, that you wouldn't follow him. You learned about Jesus so that something would change in your life, that it wasn't merely a fact in some head knowledge. Continues on. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, this is a different type of wisdom than what Solomon's talking about. Solomon's talking about um, the, the person that, that is uh, just gaining as much knowledge as possible, that is uh, gaining as much facts about the world. And Paul is talking about a new way of life. He's saying, lay down everything you know and do something different. That, that as we learn as Christians, we learn to live again, right? We learn to live this life differently. We see life through a different lens. And, and Solomon um, was living life through a very different lens on what it looks like to follow Jesus. One of the largest themes of the New Testament is that we need to learn not just facts and contents and facts and, and content, but we need to learn a whole new way of life. And we need to put that way of life um, into, into action, right? Jesus tells us that over and over in the Gospels and these stories and these parables of, of life is not what you think it is. I'm calling you to something different. And he called out the religious leaders of the day saying, all you have done is memorize facts and knowledge, but nothing about your life has changed in order to actually follow and please God. Romans 12, uh, chapter 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? The renewal and, and transformation of the mind is the process in which believers begin to think in new and right ways as they meditate on Scripture and as they meditate on, on God and, and on the person of God and the person of Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and when we think in new ways, our identity becomes less about the knowledge that we've stored up and more about who transforms us, right? Because Jesus um, is, is, cares more about transforming our lives and being in an intimate relationship with us than how much we know and how much we know about him. And transformation, it, it just what is done in your life, what is new, what has been made new, what has changed. And so the question is, what in your life, what in our life, what in my life, your life, is, is it time to make a change in? What, um, what have we been chasing after for too long? What have we made God in our lives instead of Jesus? What have we spent so much time learning about and learning about and just chasing something that, that Solomon would may say, you're just chasing the wind. There's nothing about this thing that is going to get you to where you ultimately need to be in life. And so um, that, that thing's going to be different for all of us. It's going to be a different thing that we're chasing after and going after. And, and I want to end with our, our last scripture here in Philippians 4, 8 to 9, and let's look at some things that are good for us to be putting our energy towards. And so um, Paul again says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen um, in in meaning, practice those things, and the God of peace will be with you. I, I love those verses because it's something we can come back to, right? It's also those verses we highlight, we write down, we do something because when we feel like we're going after something in life, that's a great grid to run things through. 
Paul gives this list of truth, honor, justice, purity, love, something that's admirable, something that's excellent in the eyes of God, something that's worthy of praise. I can't think of a better list of things to spend time learning about, right? Things that God looks at um, like that. So let's think of things that are worthy of praise. And, And what should we be thinking about and learning about as our primary focus in life, right? We should be spending as much time thinking and learning about God as we're spending thinking and learning about something else in our lives. Um, Charles Spurgeon, the English preacher, said, the most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity, right? He has said these, that's the thing to think about. Um, Have an intimate relationship with God and that will get you um, somewhere. That will get you somewhere at the end of this, of this life by being in a right relationship with God. Um, when the coroner pulls up, um, you're in a much better place. Let's bring everything together one last time, right? Solomon showed us chasing wisdom is like chasing the wind. We know there's so much more to life than, than just being smart and having those things. Because Jesus didn't die for facts, he died for people, right? Say it with me. Jesus didn't die for facts. Jesus died for people. Okay. And so maybe you're here today. We've talked about that. We've said those words out loud. And, um, and you think to yourself, I don't know if I believe that Jesus died for people. I don't know if I uh, believe that Jesus died for me. And Jesus did die for you. Jesus died and suffered for each one of us so that we can one day live forever in a place that is free of of pain, that is free of suffering, and in a place that is made straight and not crooked, um, like the world that we live in now. And today God wants to invite you and and to bring you into a right relationship with himself. And we're gonna gonna pray, let's all bow our heads together. And and, and if that's you, if you are the person you're here and you're saying, Lord, I, I know that you are God and I need to come into a relationship with you. I want to pray with you right now. Jesus, um, t- today I know that I need you. I know that um, today is the day I need to surrender myself to you. And today I declare that I want to live a new kind of life. Lord, I want to live a life that is not seeking after something that's not seeking after something that will will one day not matter that will one day um, just be lost Um, but I want to seek after a life of those things that are honorable to you and and seek after a relationship with you that is vibrant and powerful and awesome Jesus you are Lord of my life and I commit my life to you this morning and for all of us here this morning um, I I want to pray for us and that, that, Lord, you, you help us to walk in newness every day, that you help us to, to seek you first in the day, that you help us to, um, to see the, the meaning of life, that it is more than just um, gaining facts or gaining money or gaining accomplishment or, or any of these things that we've talked about in this series, Lord, that, that you show us that the meaning of life is to be in relationship with you, God. So Lord, I, I pray for all of us here as we, as we go that we will know you intimately and that we will um, do everything in our power to, to serve you and love you and share your news with other people. 
God, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online, and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds, or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.